Hello, this is Bernie Davis. Hi, Mark Davis. And welcome to our Interview Swansea and West Wales podcast. Right, okay, so in February 2012, Rian Mannings had just returned to work as a PE teacher after having her youngest son, George when tragedy struck her family. George died suddenly with no sign of illness in the Royal Glamorgan Hospital, Latrisant. And just days later, Paul, her husband, and the dad to her three children took his own life, traumatized by the loss of their son. The tragedy of experiencing the sudden death of a child was compounded by the situation Rian and her husband found themselves in at the hospital having nowhere to privately grieve and say goodbye to their son. The family were offered no support and were left to deal with the loss of both Paul and George alone. In December 2019, Rian was recognized on the Queen's New Year Honours List and awarded an MBE for all her hard work. Today, Rian will share what that was all about and why she was given this award. Rian, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you for having me along today. Um, no pressure, no pressure at all there. But I, like many of you, I'm, I'm certainly not used to this. I normally talk to rooms full of people. So uh, it's quite lonely, isn't it, sat at home talking <laughs> to a camera. Um, but I do speak from the heart when I talk. I do speak in detail. Um, I, I haven't come online to upset you all this first thing on a Wednesday morning but I always feel it's important to share my story, to share what happened to us as a family, but also to show you how, you know, you can cope with, with most things that are thrown at you. And, um, you know, you mustn't give up hope because if it was, if it was that easy and I had given up hope, I, I wouldn't be here today and, and Holly and Isaac wouldn't, wouldn't have a mum anymore. So if you do want to turn your camera off, if you do feel it's too much, you know, it will not offend me at all. I'm used to speaking about it and, you know, you're not necessarily used to hearing such detail. So like Bernie said, back in February 2012, I was actually a PE teacher. So all I've ever done is teach PE. It's been my passion. I love children. I, I love, I loved actually that. That's all I did since I left university. And I had three children under three quite chaotic households. So Holly was three, Isaac was two, and George was one. Um, and I just returned to school in Cardiff where I was teaching after my maternity leave. Normal day, um, went home, usual bath time routine. And that's when George fell ill very, very suddenly. The ambulance came, we were rushed down to the hospital. The staff were absolutely amazing with us, but very quickly within two hours of being admitted to the hospital, um, George died. As I said, the staff couldn't have done enough for us, but it became clear very quickly that there wasn't any type of facility for us to sit with George. There wasn't any, um, anything there really to support us. Um, and it was a situation I think made a lot worse by the fact that we couldn't have any privacy. In fact, the only place we could have privacy was the other end of the hospital which meant a nurse had to carry our son's dead body through the corridors of the hospital, looking for somewhere to lay him. We left the hospital with a list of phone numbers. We went home. We rang those phone numbers. 
up to this day, I've never heard back from those numbers, those messages that I, I left. The couple of them were even out of date. We went back to see George the following day. The environment was just not suitable. They hadn't even dressed him. They hadn't thought about any type of, you know, the dignity that he deserved and the respect that we deserved at his mummy and daddy. And, and it was just, as I said, it couldn't have been made a lot worse. We'd been through just the most horrific evening the night before, but there was so much that could have been done to support us. And we didn't hear from anyone. We, on the Wednesday, had a family of five that was just everything that we could have ever dreamt of. And then it was just ripped apart and nobody rang us. Nobody knocked on our door. Nobody reached out to us to check we were okay, to check that Holly and Isaac were okay, who were two and three. We were just left. And I think that really baffled me because when you've got young children, some of you will, some of you may have grandchildren, you know there's a lot of support. There's health visitors, there's midwives. But actually when one of them dies, nobody bothered with us and nobody reached out. It was horrific and, and I actually can honestly say the reason again why I'm here is that we had so much support from family and friends you know we were quite anonymous in our, our area and it didn't matter people just reached out and wanted to give us that support but I can honestly not thank anyone professional for, for giving us any type of lifeline or advice of what happened next or why this maybe happened to our family it was five days after George died that you know, Paul really was distraught, really upset. And when you see your husband, who's always been the provider, the protector, six foot three, the one who's always been the strong one in the family, crumble. As a wife, you feel just completely hopeless. You can't do anything to make the situation better. But did I ever suspect that life was going to get even worse? No. If I went back to that same weekend, there was nothing pointing at the fact that five days after losing Georgie, I was going to lose my husband and my best friend. It was a normal day. Um, as I said, Paul was upset. He did go off in the car. I was worried. My, my parents were very, you know, laid back in the sense that he just needed some space, which is what we were planning on doing that day was to go to the beach. And we waited for him to come back. And it was about two hours after he left that, we were starting to worry a little bit. And that's when I saw a police officer standing outside my kitchen window in uniform. And I just knew. And I can just remember my mum screaming, the police officers coming into the house and telling me that the poor was dead. They couldn't tell me how or where or any information but someone would come back to tell me. And I waited that one hour is what they told me. One hour someone would be there. I eventually waited six and a half hours for somebody to come back to tell me what happened to Paul. And what had happened was that he had been found under Britain Ferry Bridge in Swansea, beneath Port Albert, and he'd been seen getting out of the car and diving off the bridge headfirst with no hesitation. And, you know, I, there was no emotion. You know, shock is an incredible emotion in the sense that I sat there um obviously i doubted the information but i didn't cry my parents were hysterical and would you believe the officers then just left us again with my mum and dad propping me up and being my support and that support went on for days and days months and months 
And to this day, it took a long, long time to get any type of support. We couldn't access it. It was answer phone messages, unattainable numbers. We had the doctors ringing people to find an urgent support for me and the children and they couldn't get anything. Even the police that we were involved with couldn't find any support. My poor GP, I think I scarred him for life. He just sat there and said, I just don't know what I can do. The waiting list is 18 months for support. So it was just a nightmare, yes, for my family, but also for people who wanted to help us and couldn't do anything to support us. And I know the effects of those losses really affected those staff at that hospital. I know the nurse who walked down the hospital corridors with George resigned because there was nothing and she felt she'd failed us. And we deserved better and the staff deserved better as well. So I'm cutting a very long story short. I normally speak for about an hour, an hour and a half about this, but to cut a long story short, my mental health went to pots. Although in the beginning, I was in just denial and carried on reasonably normally for Holly and Isaac's sake. I took a long time to leave the house. It was something that I really struggled with, but eventually I went back to work on a phased return. School were incredibly supportive. You know, I think many organisations and businesses don't know how to deal with the bereaved. They still don't. And, and as an organisation, we can always offer advice because it is a very difficult scenario to be in because people grieve very differently. And it's hard to have sort of a one approach to that. But they were good. But I soon realised it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. You know, things happen to you for a reason. I still very much wonder what why that had to happen to me at times, but I also know it happened to me to make a difference. And, and I just had to allow my husband and my son's lives to continue. And I had to live a life for them. And as I said, I went back to work. It wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I thought I needed something to help me and really a little hobby to sort of build my self-esteem up again and just to make a difference locally. So I started fundraising from behind closed doors, from in the house. And within a few months, I raised 25,000 pounds. I took it to our local health board, explaining what had happened, although she knew, and she was very, very upset. But she sadly told me that the money wouldn't necessarily help. And she didn't feel that I should be spending it on our local hospital where George died. And I, that's one of the biggest knockbacks of my life. But actually, as you've all had, I'm sure at times, you need knockbacks to make you stronger. And, and, and that's what it did. I thought, right, if, if the chief executive of the health board sees bereavement that far down the line of the, the, the list of importance, then I'm going to change things. So I started raising more and more money and I started reaching out to the hospitals here in Wales. And suddenly the staff started saying, yeah, what happens to you happens, happens to you, happens every day in these hospitals. We can treat these families, we can look after them when they're here, but when they leave, there is nothing. So yeah, we want to work with you. And it hasn't been easy. Um, emotionally, it's not been easy, but also it's not been easy. The red tape of the NHS, um, confidentiality, sharing information. But it's now eight years since George and Paul died. Holly and Isaac now are 11 and 12, are amazing little people. Um, Naughty, mischievous, spoilt, normal, as normal goes these days, you know, who knows what's going on with them. But actually, 
they are a credit to Paul, um, George and, and to the rest of my family who've done everything possible for them. The charity now is a all Wales organisation. I have 11 members of staff working for me. We've just recruited two members of staff based in North Wales who speak Welsh, very important to be felt. Um, we have supported over three and a half thousand people in the last four years. And every year we get over 300 deaths. And those deaths are sudden and traumatic deaths in people who are 25 years or under. So we work with death of young people. It was younger children, but we grew of what we do due to um, the increase sadly in young suicide and road traffic accidents. We are an organisation who work with every health board and police force in Wales. I don't know how they ever believed in me, you know, I can't thank them enough for believing in me and for hearing my story, but I just knocked on doors, I banged on doors, I believed in it so much I didn't give up. I am now on first name terms with pretty much any senior officer in Wales, anybody working in the health boards because I wanted them to get to know me. I wanted them to get to know my staff. And if, God forbid, there was a death of a 25 year old or under today in a hospital in Wales, we will get a phone call when it happens from the hospitals and we phone the family if they give permission. We don't believe in giving out phone numbers necessarily to families when they are so traumatised in such a state. I took years to go on a computer and make phone calls. I, even st I still really do struggle with anxiety, especially around the phone, which is silly. I, you know, I don't even know why. Um, but we just want families not to have that pressure and to get an answer phone message and not to get through to somebody. We actually have that proactive support and we go forward with that. And what we offer are memory boxes in the hospitals. We do support um, ongoing through counselling and play therapy. But the one thing I'm most proud of is my immediate support team. We will go into a family's home hours or days after a child has died with the family's consent. And we are there to help them for as long as they need, before they need more formal support. And that's what makes us quite special. We want to be involved with these families. It's not about that counselling early on. It's about making them realise that actually what they're feeling is normal, how they're feeling and that blame they carry is a normal reaction. My husband took his own life because he truly believed he failed us as a family. He truly believed he failed George as a daddy and he should have done more. And that's not true. He was the best daddy and the best husband in the world. And because of that lack of support, he's no longer here to see his children grow up. So we feel it's so important. And I share my story, not to depress everybody, as I said, to just remind people, and, and obviously at this time with what's going on in the, in the communities, you know, things like this can happen to anyone. We were just a normal family on a, on a, on a normal street and our lives were just blown into pieces. And people call me strong all the time. People call me brave all the time and inspiration. I don't see it as that. And that's not just me saying it. You know, the MBE was an incredible honour and something that came completely out of the blue. But it's all very bittersweet because I'd swap it in a heartbeat to bring my family back. And it was just a very natural thing that I wanted to do was just to make that difference. 
So no, I'm not brave, I'm not strong. All I wanna do is help other people and make sure that no other daddy walks out of the house and never comes home. And I just wanna thank you for listening to me because it's, it's, it is hard hitting when you haven't heard it before. But I also wanna say, you know, never give up. And I'm sure many of you here have been through some really highs and lows and, and potentially at the moment are still doing that. But reach out, always talk. You know, as you can see, I like a talk and I've always talked and that's what's got me through it massively. Um, and never give up because if you're passionate about something and if you want to make it, you know, you can. So thank you for listening. We, as I said, we are an all Wales charity. We are self-funded. We've just had some funding for North Wales staff. But apart from that, we need over £600,000 a year to function. Every, near enough every penny of that comes through our communities and through um, companies and individual giving. We need to raise awareness of this charity, not just for fundraising, as other people on here from other organisations know, you know, yes, charities need money, but we also need people to know that we exist because we don't just take on recently bereaved families. Somebody out there may have lost a child years and years ago and may be struggling and need our support. And we will take anyone whenever their loss occurred. So if there is anything you can do just to help us raise awareness. I'm from Pembrokeshire originally. That's where I was born and grown up, grew up. Got real passion for people and businesses and, and the communities of Pembrokeshire, really special. Um, so anything you can do just to help us increase um, knowledge and awareness of Tawish would be massive. So when I finish, I'm just going to put down on there my email address and put on there information for our website. Go on there, it tells you everything that we do. Um, and just want to say really good luck with everything that you're doing, if you're starting up or continuing, but also times are hard. And the days when I worry about Tawish at the moment, I just think, do you know what? We are all in this together. And that's what brings me so much comfort. And there are people out there so much worse off than I am at the moment. So thank you. Um, if you have any questions and you don't want to ask today, just send them over to me. Um, but as I said, thank you very, very much for listening. This episode was brought to you by Intrabiz Swansea and West Wales. Further episodes are available on our website, which is www.intrabizwestwales.co.uk. Thank you for listening.